Chapter Five of Black Heart and White Heart by Sir Henry Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elvira. The Doom Pool. Fortune showed itself strangely favorable to the plans of Nahoon and Nanea. One of the Zulu captain's perplexities was as to how he should lull the suspicions and evade the vigilance of his own companions, who, together with himself, had been detailed by the king to assist Haddon in his hunting, and to guard against his escape. As it chanced, however, on the day after the incident of the visit of Maputa, a messenger arrived from no less a person than the great military induna Tvingwayo Camarolo, who afterwards commanded the Zulu army at Isandlwana, ordering these men to return to their regiment, the Umtichu Corps, which was to be placed upon full war footing. Accordingly, Nahoon sent them, saying that he himself would follow with Blackheart in the course of a few days, as at present the white man was not sufficiently recovered from his hurts to allow of his travelling fast and far. So the soldiers went, doubting nothing. Then Umgona gave it out that in obedience to the command of the king he was about to start for Ulundi, taking with him his daughter Nanea to be delivered over into the Sikhotla, and also those fifteen head of cattle that had been lobolad by Nahoon in consideration of his forthcoming marriage, whereof he had been fined by Tetiwayo. Under pretense that they required a change of felt, the rest of his cattle he sent away in charge of a Basutu herd who knew nothing of their plans, telling him to keep them by the crocodile drift as there the grass was good and sweet. All preparations being completed, on the third day the party started, heading straight for Ulundi. After they had travelled some miles, however, they left the road and, turning sharp to the right, passed unobserved of any through a great stretch of uninhabited bush. Their path now lay not far from the Pool of Doom, which indeed was close to Umgona's kraal, and the forest that was called Home of the Dead, but out of sight of these. It was their plan to travel by night, reaching the broken country near the crocodile drift on the following morning. Here they proposed to lie hid that day, and through the night, then having first collected the cattle which had preceded them, to cross the river at the break of dawn, and escape into Natal. At least this was the plan of his companions, but, as we know, Haddon had another programme, whereon after one last appearance, two of the party would play no part. During that long afternoon's journey, Umgona, who knew every inch of the country, walked ahead, driving the fifteen cattle, and carrying in his hand a long travelling stick of black and white umzimbeet wood, for in truth the old man was in a hurry to reach his journey's end. Next came Nahoon, armed with a broad assegai, but naked except for his mucha and necklet of baboon's teeth, and with him Nanea in her white bead-bordered mantle. Haddon, who brought up the rear, noticed that the girl seemed to be under the spell of an imminent apprehension, for from time to time she clasped her lover's arm, and looking up into his face addressed him with vehemence, almost with passion. 
Curiously enough, the sight touched Haddon, and once or twice he was shaken by so sharp a pang of remorse at the thought of his share in this tragedy that he cast about in his mind seeking a means to unravel the web of death which he himself had woven. But ever that evil voice was whispering at his ear. It reminded him that he, the white in course, had been refused by this dusky beauty, and that if he found a way to save him, within some few hours she would be the wife of the savage gentleman at her side, the man who had named him Black Heart, and who despised him, the man whom he had meant to murder, and who immediately repaid his treachery by rescuing him from the jaws of the leopard at the risk of his own life. Moreover, it was a law of Haddon's existence never to deny himself of anything that he desired, if it lay within his power to take it, a law which had led him always deeper into sin. In other respects, indeed, it had not carried him far, for in the past he had not desired much, and he had won little. But this particular flower was to his hand, and he would pluck it. If Nahoon stood between him and the flower, so much the worse for Nahoon, and if it should wither in his grasp, so much the worse for the flower, it could always be thrown away. Thus it came about that, not for the first time in his life, Philip Haddon discarded the somewhat spasmodic prickings of conscience, and listened to that evil whispering at his ear. About half-past five o'clock in the afternoon, the four refugees passed the stream that a mile or so down fell over the little precipice into the doom pool, and entering a patch of thorn-trees on the further side, walked straight into the midst of two-and-twenty soldiers, who were beguiling the tedium of expectancy by the taking of snuff and the smoking of dacha, or native hemp. With these soldiers seated on his pony, for he was too fat to walk, waited the chief Maputa. Observing that their expected guests had arrived, the men knocked out the dacha pipe, replaced the snuff-boxes in the slits made in the lobes of their ears, and secured the four of them. "'What is the meaning of this, O king's soldiers?' asked Umgona in a quavering voice. "'We journey to the kraal of Utkitiwayo. Why do you molest us?' "'Indeed. Wherefore then are your faces set towards the south? Does the black one live in the south?' "'Well, you will journey to another kraal presently,' answered the jovial-looking captain of the party with a callous laugh. "'I do not understand,' stammered Umgona. "'Then I will explain while you rest,' said the captain." The chief Maputa yonder sent word to the black one at Ulundi that he had heard of your intended flight to Natal from the lips of this white man who had warned him of it. The black one was angry and dispatched us to catch you and make an end of you. That is all. Come on now, quietly, and let us finish the matter. As the doom pool is near, your deaths will be easy. Nahoon heard the words and sprang straight at the throat of Haddon. But he did not reach it, for the soldiers pulled him down. Nanea heard them also, and turning, looked the traitor in the eyes. She said nothing. She only looked. But he could never forget that look. The white man, for his part, was filled with a fiery indignation against Maputa. 
"'You wicked villain!' he gasped, whereat the chief smiled in a sickly fashion and turned away. Then they were marched along the banks of the stream till they reached the waterfall that fell into the pool of doom. Haddon was a brave man after his fashion, but his heart quailed as he gazed into that abyss. "'Are you going to throw me in there?' he asked of the Zulu captain in a thick voice. "'You, white man?' replied the soldier unconcernedly. "'No. Our orders are to take you to the king. But what he will do with you I do not know. There is to be war between your people and ours. So perhaps he means to pound you into medicine for the use of the witch-doctors, or to peg you over an ant-heap as a warning to other white men.' Haddon received this information in silence, but its effect upon his brain was bracing, for instantly he began to search out some means of escape. By now the party had halted near the two thorn-trees that hung over the waters of the pool. "'Who dives first? asked the captain of the chief Maputa. "'The old wizard,' he replied, nodding at Umgona, then his daughter after him and last of all this fellow, and he struck Nahoon in the face with his open hand. "'Come on, wizard,' said the captain, grasping Umgona by the arm, "'and let us see how you can swim.' At the words of doom, Umgona seemed to recover his self-command, after the fashion of his race. "'No need to lead me, soldier,' he said, shaking himself loose, "'who am old and ready to die.' Then he kissed his daughter at his side, wrung Nahoon by the hand, and turning from Haddon with a gesture of contempt, walked out upon the platform that joined the two thorn trunks. Here he stood for a moment, looking at the setting sun. Then suddenly, and without a sound, he hurled himself into the abyss below and vanished. That was a brave one, said the captain with admiration. Can you spring too, girl, or must we throw you? I can walk my father's path, Nanea answered faintly, but first I crave leave to say one word. It is true that we were escaping from the king, and therefore by the law we must die. But it was Black Heart here who made the plot, and he who has betrayed us. Would you know why he has betrayed us? because he sought my favour, and I refused him, and this is the vengeance that he takes, a white man's vengeance. How? broke in the chief Maputa. This pretty one speaks truth, for the white man would have made a bargain with me under which Umgona, the wizard, and Nahoon, the soldier, were to be killed at the crocodile drift, and he himself suffered to escape with the girl. I spoke him softly and said yes, and then like a loyal man I reported to the king. You hear? sighed Nanea. Nahoon, fare you well, though presently perhaps we shall be together again. It was I who tempted you from your duty. For my sake you forgot your honour, and I am repaid. Farewell, my husband. It is better to die with you, than to enter the house of the king's woman. And Nanea stepped onto the platform. 
Here, holding to a bough of one of the thorn-trees, she turned and addressed Haddon, saying, Blackheart, you seem to have won the day, but me, at least, you lose. The sun is not yet set. After sunset comes the night, Blackheart, and in that night I pray that you may wander eternally, and be given to drink of my blood, and the blood of Umgona, my father, and the blood of Nahoon, my husband, who saved your life, and whom you have murdered. Perchance, Blackheart, we may yet meet yonder in the house of the dead. Then uttering a low cry, Nanea clasped her hands and sprang upwards and outwards from the platform. The watchers bent their heads forward to look. They saw her rush headlong down the face of the fall to strike the water fifty feet below. A few seconds, and for the last time they caught sight of her white garment glimmering on the surface of the gloomy pool. Then the shadows and mist wreaths hid it, and she was gone. "'Now, husband,' cried the cheerful voice of the captain, "'yonder is your marriage-bed, so be swift to follow a bride who is so ready to lead the way. How! But you are good people to kill. Never have I had to do with any who gave less trouble.' "'You?' and he stopped for mental agony had done its work, and suddenly Nahoon went mad before his eyes. With a roar like that of a lion, the great man cast off those who held him, and seizing one of them round the waist and thigh, he put out all his terrible strength. Lifting him as though he had been an infant, he hurled him over the edge of the cliff to find his death on the rocks of the Pool of Doom. Then crying, "'Black Heart, your turn!' Blackheart, the traitor! He rushed at Haddon, his eyes rolling and foam flying from his lips, as he passed, striking the chief Maputa from his horse with a backward blow of his hand. Ill would it have gone with the white man if Nahoon had caught him. But he could not come at him, for the soldiers sprang upon him, and notwithstanding his fearful struggles, they pulled him to the ground, as at certain festivals the Zulu regiments, with their naked hands, pull down a bull in the presence of the king. "'Cast him over before he can work more mischief,' said a voice. But the captain cried out, "'Nay, nay, he is sacred. The fire from heaven has fallen on his brain, and we may not harm him, else evil would overtake us all. Bind him hand and foot, and bear him tenderly to where he can be cared for. Surely I thought that these evildoers were giving us too little trouble, and thus it has proved. So they set themselves to make fast Nahoon's hands and wrists, using as much gentleness as they might, for among the Zulus a lunatic is accounted holy. It was no easy task, and it took time. Haddon glanced around him, and saw his opportunity. On the ground close beside him lay his rifle, where one of the soldiers had placed it, and about a dozen yards away Maputa's pony was grazing. With a swift movement he seized the martini, and five seconds later he was on the back of the pony heading for the crocodile drift at a gallop. So quickly indeed did he execute his masterly retreat 
that occupied as they all were in binding Nahoon, for half a minute or more none of the soldiers noticed what had happened. Then Maputa chanced to see, and waddled after him to the top of the rise, screaming, The white thief! He has stolen my horse, and the gun too, the gun that he promised to give me! Haddon, who by this time was a hundred yards away, heard him clearly, and a rage filled his heart. This man had made an open murderer of him. More, he had been the means of robbing him of the girl, for whose sake he had dipped his hands in these iniquities. He glanced over his shoulder. Maputa was still running and alone. Yes, there was time. At any rate, he would risk it. Pulling up the pony with a jerk, he leapt from its back, slipping his arm through the rein with an almost simultaneous movement. As it chanced, and as he had hoped would be the case, the animal was a trained shooting horse, and stood still. Haddon planted his feet firmly on the ground, and drawing a deep breath he cocked the rifle and covered the advancing chief. Now Maputa saw his purpose, and with a yell of terror turned to fly. Haddon waited a second to get the sight fair on his broad back. Then, just as the soldiers appeared above the rise, he pressed the trigger. He was a noted shot, and in this instance his skill did not fail him, for before he heard the bullet tell, Maputa flung his arms wide and plunged to the ground dead. Three seconds more, and with a savage curse, Haddon had remounted the pony and was riding for his life towards the river, which a while later he crossed in safety. End of chapter 5 Recording by Elvira